I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. The NBA is coming back and I'm stoked. I'm joined by my usual co-host Tim Shields and we're going to be reacting and looking into all the details about the NBA's now pretty much confirmed resumption on Friday the 31st of July at Disney World, Florida. Tim, how you feeling, man? Doing all right, man. How you holding up? I'm loving life. There's going to be basketball again. It does help to have it back. It's a, it's a small return to normalcy, at least in, a, in just a minutia sense of having something to entertain us. Yeah, just anything to take our minds off like the, the pandemic and everything, all the social issues that are going on in the world. Basketball returning is a nice escape. Amen to that. So let's get into it. Let's see how this is going to happen. What's, what are we looking at? How many teams? So to start it off, the season is still restarting, is still contingent on an agreement being made with the Walt Disney Company to be able to use the, world, the Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida, as a single site where they'll be playing within a bubble. That site will still be holding practices and housing the players for the remainder of the season. By saying a bubble, we mean that once you're in there, you are not allowed out and no outsiders are allowed in. So it will be very minimal media presence. I haven't really heard much about players' families. First of all, it was they can't really have families with them. Then there was discussions of, Maybe immediate family could join them at the facilities, but they would remain in the bubble too. But either way, if an agreement's made with Disney World Florida, shout out to Keith Smith. It's like he made all this happen. He willed it to happen. Then the basketball season's going to resume, and it's going to resume with some regular season games, eight of them to be precise. It is interesting to see how they went about scheduling it. I was originally thinking like maybe they would try and do it towards like what the schedule was towards the tail end of the season, but I am happy that they're picking it up where it started, um, where it left off rather. So you've got the Celtics who are going to end up starting with a series with the Bucks, the Wizards, the Raptors, the Nets, Wizards again, Grizzlies, Trailblazers, and then wrapping it up with the Heat. Some of those games are going to be really important. Mainly the reason why I feel like they're doing these kind of games is in order to allow these teams who are on the outside of that playoff bubble looking in. So the format that they end up doing is they've got the 16 playoff teams, but then you've got uh, eight additional teams, or uh, rather math, six additional teams. You have the Wizards, Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs, and Suns. Uh, a lot of teams in the West are jockeying for that eighth seed, so that'll come more into a factor into how they play it out. And I think, Adam, you've got the notes on this more, but how they're going to be handling that seeding and how they're handling that playoff matchup and seeing who's going to get that last seed is really interesting. It's definitely something new the NBA had to do in order to try and give these teams who are just on the outside looking in a chance to try and make the playoffs. So the way it got kind of released by the NBA, and I'll follow the same train of thought as it's the easiest one I can kind of vocalize was if a team with the eighth best combined record in the conference, we'll call those Team A, are four games or fewer ahead of the team in the ninth best combined record in that same conference, call them Team B, then those two teams will compete in a mini playing tournament to determine who actually obtains the eighth seed. And then it kind of goes a little bit deeper too. So Team A would only need to defeat Team B once because they already hold the better record whereas Team B would need to beat Team A twice consecutively to then prize that eighth seed away from Team A. That makes sense, Tim. You following? I'm following. <laughs> so it can be that a, 
you know, let's look at, say, the, the Grizzlies somehow managed to claw themselves into ninth, ninth place in the seedings. Whoever's in eighth, there's only two games between them. So then the Grizzlies have to beat whoever's in eighth twice in order to pull that eighth seed. Whereas if they lose once to whoever's in eighth, the Grizzlies are eliminated, which is fantastic for the Celtics, which is why I used them as an example. Yeah, when you look at that seeding situation, most teams were in favor of it. It actually got passed 29 to 1 for this 22 team format. The one team that was not voting for it was the Trailblazers. They were in favor actually of a 20 game or a 20 team format, rather, in order to try and make sure that they would have a better chance of making it. Uh, that being said, I know that they were taking a lot of opinions and feedback from their players. Most notably, Dame Lillard came out and spoke and said that he was not in favor unless they had a chance to actually come back and compete for a playoff spot. So it is interesting to see how the league went about it, but it also makes sense considering how close those teams are in seeding the West. They've got a lot of jockeying going on there. So if you're a Celtics fan, it's absolutely pertinent to see in route for the Blazers to pull out here because if the Grizzlies manage to end up falling enough in that seeding in these eight games they're going to play out, there's a really good chance this team is going to fall enough for that seeding to help us in terms of a lottery pick. That Grizzlies pick, if it ends up in the lottery, might end up a little bit higher than it is right now. And I am all for that. <laughs> I'm all for anything that gets the Celtics a higher pick in the draft. But we've been doing a lot of draft talk, so I want to stick with the NBA's coming back, man. All games as well, and I put a tweet out about this because this benefits me greatly. I'm not sure how it benefits the listeners, depending on your geographic location. But should the season resume at Disney World, then all playoff games for the entirety, including the regular season games, the eight games that each team will need to compete in, will all be on the Eastern time zone. For me personally, that's a win within itself. That's a win within a win that's made me very, very happy because there'll be no 3 a.m. starts for me. But then even for like East Coast guys, like you don't have to worry about West Coast games where they're 10 p.m. starts and you're struggling to keep your eyes open during the second half of the game. And on top of that, too, you're looking at a situation where you're going to be playing multiple games in a day. So they're talking about it kind of being a summer league format where you've got two or three games a day as they play out the rest of this season. And I think that's pretty important, especially when you're looking at it from a fan standpoint, where it's been on, at the point where the season's going to be coming back. We're looking at over 100 days without any kind of real sports being around for the NBA. There's been no games outside of like that horse tourney they had a while ago. Uh, in terms of timetable, you're looking at training camp starting on June 30th. Then July 7th, teams are expected to travel to Orlando. Um, and that season starting up on July 31st. So with that NBA season coming back, it's going to be really interesting to see how players react to it. I think this gives them enough time to kind of get back into the swing of things. It, it gives them a chance to actually kind of build up a little bit of momentum and get back into a rhythm. I'm actually really happy. I have that last game the Celtics played, which was against the Pacers. I still have that on my DVR. So what I'm going to end up doing is watch that right before their first game. So it's, it's kind of like the season never stopped for me. Well, the season certainly did stop. I can reassure you of that. Let me live in my little, you know, reality. My little your, little, your own little COVID-19 <laughs> bubble. The one thing that I do like is the league a few weeks back was saying that they'd make sure there was some, some element of what would be a preseason where teams can slowly start to get the rust off them, get their fitness levels back up to a position where 
it's not dangerous for the guys to be taking the court. They're not going to be at increased risk of injury due to lack of fitness, lack of muscle flexibility. Now, most teams are reopening their their practice facilities. The Celtics have done so too for voluntary individual workouts. Between now and July 31st, you'd expect those workouts to begin ramping up. Once a deal struck with Disney World, you'd expect them to be opening play, um, training facilities up to teams as a whole. So from here till July 31st, assuming that deal is struck with Disney World, I would be assuming we now begin to treat between now and then as a preseason where we can start looking at film that's being released from workouts that start seeing a bit more media availability from the players and coaches. Most likely that's going to be done virtually due to the bubble that they're all going to be placed in. But it's nice to know that the NBA are giving players time to kind of recover their fitness after this long layoff and that hopefully they should be ready to play at a high level come July 31st. Also another important thing to note, um, these were some additional details that were put out by Shams. You've got on June 15th, players who are located internationally are going to be returning to the market. June 21st, all players will be reporting to these training camps. And also a really, really important caveat in all of this, of course, in terms of safety, June 22nd, you're going to be seeing coronavirus testing begins for all players who are involved. Yeah, and that coronavirus testing is going to be one of the primary aspects of how they keep these guys safe, how they make sure the league could continue. I'm assuming they're going to have quarantine protocols in place. If a player does test positive, hopefully they're going to have some form of track and trace system so they can find other people that may have become infected. But if they can manage this correctly and operate within that bubble, then the risk of contracting that virus should be very minimal, which should allow the playoffs and the original eight games to go completely unhindered. Uh, One other thing to note, too, is this was an article put out by Tim Botemps and in concerns of players coming back and potentially there being any kind of issues with people being, you know, anyone getting sick or anything like that. Um, In terms of testing, the players, this is – Straight from the article, this is not me requoting it. This is straight from the article by Tim Botemps of ESPN. The NBA plans to have daily uniform testing for everyone who is within the bubble. This is from ESPN's Ramona Shelburne. Uh, epidemiologists have said that this is what the NBA needs to do in order to ensure the safest situation possible for everyone involved. There's no idea of what kind of testing there's going to be involved. The players' union has previously indicated they prefer a testing method other than nasal swab, which was viewed as invasive and uncomfortable. So in terms of what happens if a player tests positive, after the number of teams, the schedule, and its accompanying details, this is the most important issue remaining. But the league is not expected to stop play because of a positive test. That's a really, really important detail. Instead, they will isolate that person and continue to monitor their surrounding colleagues. If an outbreak within a team, if several players or staff members tested positive, would prove more problematic and could force a reevaluation of the system. So that's another big issue. So players are going to have to make sure that they're you know, keeping distance as much as they can, staying as healthy as possible and also just taking all the necessary precautions. You know, they are going to be limited within that Disney world resort, specifically that uh, worldwide sports resort they've got there. But it, it also is just really crucial beyond belief that, uh, and I, I know that the NBA players association is going to get involved with this, but you know, outside parties who are involved, if there's family there, you know, making sure that there is some contact, but it's safe contact and players are doing the best to stay healthy. And that's all they can do. They can put in as many protocols as necessary, but the, 
the main factor that needs to be remembered is these guys have to stick within that bubble. That bubble cannot be popped. It cannot be breached in order for this to remain unhindered and to keep these players and whoever is within that bubble as safe as possible. Otherwise, the entire thing can lead to mass infection. We've seen how rapid the rate of infection can increase with COVID-19. So as long as the bubble's kind of maintained, the regular testing is upheld, we should be treated to some high-level basketball where we can hopefully see any team other than the Lakers lift the championship. <laughs> Amen to that. One thing I will add with the testing, uh, if they think that doing that nasal swab is going to be too invasive, I could also see them trying to introduce um, blood platelet testing. I know that there's, a, there's an urgent care uh, near me in Lowell. I think it's in Chelmsford. Uh, they're doing blood platelet testing. What they do is they test your blood for the antibodies. So if you don't have any uh, COVID-19 antibodies in your system, it means that you haven't been exposed and that whatever you're doing is working. Whereas if they do find antibodies in your system, it either means one of two things. You've had it and it's passed through your system or you're asymptomatic. So that is going to be a major factor. I know players like Rudy Gobert, Marcus Smart, notably, as well as I believe Donovan Mitchell. Those are the big ones that I know of right off the bat, off the top of my head, that have been diagnosed with COVID-19. So they probably most likely do have COVID antibodies in their system, but it's yet to be seen on how they're really going to handle any kind of situation where you've got someone who didn't test positive one day, shows up to you know practice the next day, they do a testing, and all of a sudden they show up positive. It will be interesting to see how the players handle that. Um, as well as the organizations involved, just because you really don't have any idea how these organizations are going to be able to handle it once there is, you know, multiple confirmed cases. So fingers crossed, whatever they do, hopefully will be not only the best for the fans and the organizations, but also the best for the players. That is my primary concern. And also I imagine is the primary concern of the players. They do still have to have a vote um, to confirm everything with this 22 team format. Um, but, the league is generally considering that more of a formality than anything else right now. Yeah, for me, the biggest hurdle now is striking that deal with Disney World, which I can also see at this point being a formality. Uh, Keith Smith will be the best person, if any of you are listening to this, to tweet out at. Sorry, Keith, if you're going to get inundated. But he'll be the best <laughs> person to give you uh, the information on the likelihood of any snags being hit or how easy a road that's going to be for the NBA to reach that deal. Who'd have thunk, man? Keith really pulled in a big fish on that. Yeah, um, he caught himself a Marlin, dude. He manifested that. He spoke that into existence. You, uh, re- yeah, I mean, incredible reporting, man. Seriously. Yeah, absolutely fantastic reporting. Keith's a great guy, though. So you, I'm never shocked when he does something like that because it, it's not that you expect it, but you just know that he's capable of doing work like that. It was great work. So we're going to head off to break. Now you've got all of the factual information. When we come back, we're going to give you our personal opinions on this and how we feel like it's going to play out. How do you feel it's going to play out then, Tim? <laughs> I, I think in terms of like from a Celtics perspective, you got to be looking at the teams that are ahead of you in seeding and how their schedules are going to impact it right now. Celtics, of course, already have their playoff berth confirmed. They don't have to worry about falling out of seeding and potentially out of the playoffs. And where they're seated right now, a lot of it is going to be jockeying for better playoff matchups. Unfortunately, we're not seeing any of that weird 1 through 16 reseeding that they were talking about. I think that's in the best interest of both the players, the teams in the NBA. I think you go into the season knowing, you know, as you get towards the tail end, 
what teams you're trying to prepare for for the playoffs, you know, what kind of play you're expecting, what kind of, you know, offensive schemes you have to prepare for, what you need to know in terms of exposing your enemy's weaknesses. But that being said, you know, you look at a team like the Raptors who are right now, let me just pull up the scannings to prefer, just make sure, make sure I have it right. Um, right now you've got the Raptors sitting at 46 and 18 and you've got Boston right behind them at 43 and 21. Now, as I said before, you've got the Celtics going against the Bucks, the Wizards, the Raptors, the Nets, Wizards again, Grizzlies, Trailblazers, and Heat. It is important to note as well, on top of all of that, you've got the Heat standing at 41 and 24. So they are right on the heels of the Celtics. So looking at that situation, you've also got the Raptors who got to go against really a brutal, brutal lineup of games. Now, keep in mind with the scheduling, this is what the schedule would be if you take out any of the teams who are not included in that 22-team roster we talked about. So any teams who are out of playoff contention, they're not one of those teams that's being included um, as potentially a bubble team. You've got the Raptors facing the 76ers, Celtics, Nuggets, Lakers, Bucks, Rockets, Heat, and then the poor Magic. Out of that, you know, you look at that team, the team matchups they've got right there for the Raptors, that's going to be a really, really, really tough tough stretch of games, especially if you look at all this COVID layover. I think there's a really, really good chance if Boston plays their teams right, they could potentially be looking at bumping up to that uh, second seat behind the Bucks. Yeah, the Raptors have it really tough. I can only see one, well, there may be two games that are like you, you can rubber stamp wins and I don't. I feel like one's a cert against the Magic. The Heat, I feel like the Raptors can win. But then you look at the Sixers, the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Bucks, and you're like, oh, and the Rockets. And you're like, dude, you need to win at least three of those games to even stay in, to keep that position. If the Celtics start, win, you know, if the Celtics come out and win who they got. So the Bucks is going to be a tough one. The Wizards, I feel like that's a rubber stamp. The Raptors is going to be touch and go. The Nets, if they don't, if Kyrie and KD still sit, which I'd assume they do, then I'm I'm not worried there. I'm not worried about the Wizards a second time. Grizzlies can pose some threat, but overall I'm not worried. The Blazers don't really want to be there. They were the team that voted against it. Are they going to show off? Are they going to play? I'm still not that worried. And then the Heat again. So I feel like the Celtics have such a favorable stretch of games compared to the Raptors that it's not unthinkable for them to snag that second seed looking at these two different sets of, of eight games. I think it's also important to acknowledge the fact that as much as the league is trying to push around different ideas with like home seeding, they're talking about, oh, yeah, the quote-unquote home team for these games you know, starts off a quarter with a possession or something like that. It, I don't think they need to worry about that. I think right now, a home court is almost a complete wash. And what's really important for these teams, especially teams who are looking at those, you know, a few games out of second seed or a few games back of third seed, a lot of that is just going to be jockeying for position. So a matter of trying to get a more favorable matchup in, you know, the first round, trying to get a better matchup that plays to your advantage. So in terms of Boston's perspective, as much as generally we've had Philly's number, Philly has had our number this season in the regular season. Um, that is without question. That being said, I think they're a completely different animal when they're away from the home crowd in Philly. And I think they're also a very different team when it comes to the playoffs. So 
That being said, still, I'm not trying to face against Philly. If I can avoid it in the first round, I would much rather try and draw a more favorable matchup, especially with the team coming off such a long layover. Another thing I've been asking myself since earlier this afternoon, once all this was confirmed, I know most of this was discussed yesterday across Twitter. There was news that it was being put in place, but I wanted to hold off about getting excited until the vote had been passed today. Was if I'm the Magic, no, if, sorry, if I'm the Hornets, am I looking across at Sacramento and feeling a little bit hard done by here? If you look at the Hornets, they've gone 23 and 42 this season. The Kings are 28 and 36. There's not a huge disparity in terms of win share across those two teams. I just feel like there's certain teams out there. I understand that if you're not in, in this bubble, then you're going to be kind of re- not rewarded, but compensated by higher draft, lo- higher draft odds. Fair. I completely understand it. But if you're, the, if you're the Hornets, are you looking over at the Kings wondering, how did you get in and we didn't? I don't think so. I think there's more of a difference there. I think, and this is also just goes back to whether they did the reseeding for, you know, 16, one through 16 versus just doing the classic eight Western conference teams, eight Eastern conference teams. I'd be more upset looking at the wizards. Wizards are only a few games ahead. So like maybe it just comes down to the fact that it's, it's closer when you look at that eighth seed spot amongst those teams, like the wizards have got their work cut out for them to try and, get into that playoff position right now magic i believe let me just double check and confirm that yeah you've got the magic sitting at 30 and 35 in that ac spot so you've got the wizards who are behind them six games out you know 30 and 35 versus the wizards record at 24 and 40 and right behind the wizards you've got the hornets sitting at 23 and 42 now don't get me wrong i don't think anyone expected the hornets to even try and make a playoff run and i think if you know, you put COVID aside and you just take everything out of the equation when you look at the past few months. If they played out the regular season right now, do you think that the Hornets would be a playoff team? Probably not. No, Probably and not. I, was, I was using the Kings over there, Wizards, more as a, a little jab at Brendan too. <laughs> the Wizards, again, I mean, the Wizards make more sense due to the conferences, but the, the Kings kind of have a secondary spot here just because Brendan co-hosts sometimes and he's a Kings cover, so... uh but either way, if, you, if you're the Hornets, you look over at the Kings, you look at the Wizards, and you can't blame them if they feel a little bit hard done by it. I mean, they released a statement earlier today, which is Thursday, uh, and I'll just read through it. It's very short. We are disappointed that we will not be able to compete in the 2019-2020 season, but we understand and support the NBA's plan. Led by President of Basketball Operations and General Manager Mitz Kupchak, We are very confident in our franchise's direction in our efforts to create long-term sustained success. One team made great strides this season under the leadership of head coach James Borrego. We saw significant improvement from many of our young players as evidenced by having three Hornets participating in the Rising Stars game of the NBA All-Star Weekend. Our roster consists of hard-working, dedicated players that are committed to improving their game. We are excited to see our team's growth next year and another off-season of development. We appreciate the patience, understanding, and support of our Swarm 365 members, partners, and fans over the last several months. The 2020-21 season is likely to begin in December, and we look forward to returning to the court at Spectrum Center at that time. That's a very humble release, but again, it does kind of ring a little bit disappointment. But again, they're getting compensated by higher draft odds. They've got 
between now and December, apparently, to you know really knuckle down once they play and start that player development system that they're trying to utilize, they're trying to build correctly. But and I mean, this is a bit of a bit of a pun, but that's got a sting, right? <laughs> I feel like if you look at the Western Conference standings too, you know, as we went over before, you've got teams like the Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, and Spurs, and the Suns also involved in that conversation. All those teams got at least three wins on the Hornets. And if you look at the Hornets situation too, you've got the Bulls who are just one game, you know, one win back from them. So at the end of the day, I think there's two different goals here. You want to provide the best experience for your fans. You want to give teams who are close to that playoff spot a chance to actually play for it. You look at the Western Conference versus the Eastern Conference with keeping that same 18 format. Western Conference teams, there's multiple teams who are very, very close to that final playoff spot in the West. Versus the East, you've got a significant gap, uh, enough difference there for it to say, well, do we really need to include more teams? And then also on the other side of that, you've got to look at player safety. Introducing more teams involves more players, more staff, more coaches, more, you know, whatever front office representatives might be there. And, and who knows, maybe even other family members and stuff of these players. So the more people you involve in this equation, the more unknown variables you have in terms of containing any potential cases of COVID-19, any potential positive cases. So for a team like Charlotte that has been playing ball the way they have, yeah, they might improve. Maybe they've got some players who got included in the Rising Stars Challenge. But at the end of the day, it's not a team that you really saw competing for a final playoff spot. And while the season did end up getting thrown out the window, at the end of the day, you just can't be that upset if you're Charlotte. It's a very humble response, and I get it. It sucks. But still, at the end of the day, you just can't be surprised, you know? It's just not a surprise to me. What is a surprise to me is the Kings. Uh, but that's just another jab, so I'll leave that there. <laughs> hey, you know what? I think the Kings could actually try and sneak into that spot. That being said, I don't think they will, but they can. There's, hypothetically, they can. They're one of those teams that's included. You know, they're included there for a reason. And if they figure out the situation with Buddy Heald, if they're going to start him, if they're going to bench him, all of that drama, mama stuff there going on. But, you know, I think they're a team that can make a push, but it's just a matter of how these teams come back and play. So moving back over towards looking at the Celtics, let's put these green goggles back on. How do you feel they're going to enter this new mini season before the playoffs? Do you feel like these the players like Kemba and Rob Williams that kind of started the COVID layoff with underlying injuries? You had Kemba's knees, you had Rob Williams here. Those guys have all had like a ridiculously long layoff where they, their bodies can heal and they can start to rehab on their own terms and there's no games there's no pressure to be fit by day to x hopefully their bodies can respond to the increase in training that's going to happen and i'm assuming that's going to be a gradual increase day by day that means the celtics could be coming into this at full full health along with most other teams too but i feel like the celtics are one of the most dynamic teams due to you know the four horsemen kemba Jalen, jason gordon all being healthy, along with having the ability to run short rolls through Rob Williams, the ability to have Grant Williams reposition from the corners down onto the post and start to get to work there. The whole point of the Celtics offense at the start of the year was the fact that they were so dynamic and they'd be able to do so much off ball 
that it will cause teams headaches. And we never got to see too much of that through the year. There always seemed to be one or two guys carrying injury that kind of hindered seeing the Celtics in full flow, as you would. And then there was the discussion of the best five. Do you add Marcus Smart into the starting five and go small? Or how do you run that? I'm expecting to see Brad Stevens kind of operate with a shortened rotation, but I feel like we're going to see some some funky rotations as well while he's getting used to exactly what he wants to implement once the playoffs come around. Yeah, that's also a really good point with that shortened season. You're looking at these eight games to kind of not only get people back into the rhythm, but you have to look at those playoff matchups. You know, now the situation is a little bit more solid and you're actually looking at this tangible thing that is this NBA season returning. The big point you had there was a lot of these players getting healthy. I really want to see what Rob Williams comes back as. I have no idea what kind of conditioning he's doing, but if he comes back into the fold and is able to contribute even, you know, a really good 15 to 20 minutes a game, and he's able to give you anything at all, that's a massive improvement considering we really haven't seen much of him at all this season. Another thing is you had both Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker getting hurt around the all-star break. You had, you know, Kemba Walker dealing with that nagging knee injury and, you know, people saying, oh, he looks out of rhythm. He looks like he's not getting in the flow. And it's because he's dealing with this nagging knee injury. Now he's got all these months to not only rehab that injury, but now it's ramping up to play at that NBA level. You know, it's good that they made the decision now because you've got an entire month to really ramp up your conditioning, ramp up whatever you're doing. Uh, Grant Williams is also living with Kemba Walker in Charlotte right now. So hopefully, you know, they've been working out, working on their shots, working on their team and ship. So I think that their overall you know, vibe there with, with Grant. He's very much a glue guy. He could be massive in the playoffs for you. And on top of that, if you've seen the videos Jalen's been doing, Jalen's been working out with his grandpa and his grandpa gets mad at him if he's not getting up in the morning to work out. He's got him like running upstairs and like, you know, like with, with boxing gloves on, he's punching, he's running back down the stairs, running back up, punching the gloves, going back down. And, you know, he's going out and staying in shape. I would expect Jalen Brown to come back with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, especially with that all-star snub, but also coming back in full strength, doing all this conditioning. I expect him to come back in, you know, with an attitude for sure. Man, Jalen Brown's such a leader. It, it's crazy to think that he's kind of emerging as a leader while there's no basketball taking place. And that's on and off the court as well. He did that NBA roundtable where he came across really well-spoken, really intelligent. Then with the social issues that are currently happening, he was at the forefront of organizing some of those protests. And then he's doing, he's putting videos up of him and his grandpa doing those fitness routines. He's emerging as a leader when there's no basketball. If he comes back with that same mentality and that same ability, and he's probably going to be one of the guys that are most in shape at the beginning. I can see him really driving the team, uh, driving the team on during workouts, trying to get those guys fit. The question I've got is if Rob Williams is healthy and he does earn his spot on the floor due to the passing ability, the screening ability, and the blocking ability, where does that leave Cantor in the rotation? Is he going to be a spot guy based on matchups? Is he going to be a five to nine minute a night guy? Like, where are they going to be plugging him in? Because if Rob Williams is out there along with Grant and Daniel Tice, do we see Brad Stevens extend his rotation and go back to that hockey-style big rotation that we had at the beginning of the year, in the, like ramping up for the playoffs and in the playoffs? Or does Cantor become the, the casualty that only gets plugged in 
for specific matchups or when you need that offensive rebound with 10 seconds left on the clock? I think it does really depend on where Rob Williams is with his health. I think at this point now, I would expect Rob Williams to come in, you know, really, really energized and really looking to try and earn that spot. I don't think Cantor, I don't think Cantor is going to come in with bad energy. Don't get me wrong. But as you said, I think there's a lot of matchup probabilities that really will influence when he gets minutes. I think he actually does pretty well against Embiid, all things considered. I think it is going to be more of a matchup basis with Cantor just because he is just a rebounding machine. That being said, of course, we already know about his defensive liabilities, but I think those eight games are really going to be telling about where those guys stand in the rotation. I do think you see a little bit of Grant at the four and five. I think you see Cantor kind of go in in order to try and, you know, maybe they're trying to establish a post game. So they, they bring Cantor in because he is really good in that offensive post. You see him get in there, get some rebounds, but I, I think his rotations probably come down to about 15 minutes if Rob Williams is healthy. And if Grant Williams is able to continue and improve on what he's already done so far, I think Grant is a really, really good leader, and he's going to be a guy that's going to be important to this franchise. I think he has a chance to stick around and make a difference, especially with that bench unit. Um, he's very likable, very good around the locker room. So I, I think having a guy like Cantor is – I wouldn't say he's necessarily – trying to think of the word. It's not a luxury. It's not a luxury per se, but – he's definitely kind of like a specialty guy. He's a guy you bring in there to try and establish that post offense, bringing in there, as you said, playing that old school kind of getting in there, grabbing boards, being physical with the offensive boards, especially it's going to come down to matchups. I think it's going to be a matter of who they're facing in that first round. And that's going to really determine it. But I also think you're going to see, as you said, Adam, you're going to see some different rotations. You're going to be seeing, you know, less minutes overall and seeing these bench guys get involved too because you have no idea who you're going to call on. You have no idea who you're going to see Brad Stevens throw out there at points in times. You know, maybe if you're looking at a disadvantage in the series, you're seeing, you know, Brad throw Cantor out there. Maybe you're seeing him throw Grant at the five to see if they can go small ball. You know, it really is going to depend on matchups and how they're faring against these teams they're going to be going up against. Yeah, I think another thing people need to realize as well is Ennis Cantor started 14 games of Portland's 16 playoff games last season on their way to a conference finals. It, it's not like he's impossible to run in a starting lineup in the playoffs. In 14 games, he pulled down 155 rebounds in that playoff run, which is impressive. I just don't think he fits great in the way the Celtics like to operate their defense. Portland were used to running with Nurkic, that's also a big guy. They don't run as much space as what the Celtics do. I do feel like he's going to be more of a positional threat based on, oh, are we trying to grab an offensive rebound? Are we trying to put a big body on Embiid to wear him down a little bit through spot minutes throughout the game? Do we want to try and use Cantor as a body to draw fouls on Embiid? It all depends. That's the good thing about having Rob Williams back. You can plug and play your bigs depending on what you need to happen. And for me, that's the biggest takeaway about this layoff going into these eight games. If the Celtics can come through those eight games, not nursing any new injuries, not having any guys go down with an injury, then I feel like they're going to be well positioned to make a deep playoff run. I also agree with that. I think it really depends on how these role players develop. I think it's just a matter of finding the rotations and figuring out how the minutes going to work. 
you know, if you're looking at it from a situation with Rob Williams or Brandt, there's a lot of opportunity for those guys to step up. And it's just a matter of where their fitness is at and how Brad has been scheming. You know, as we've said before, you know, you've had this massive layoff. You've got time for players to get healthy. You know, there's definitely been conversations that we haven't been privy to, but I would imagine that Brad Stevens has been thinking about potential playoff matchups. And now that those teams have been solidified, these are the teams he could potentially face. I'm sure he's already looking at rotations and trying to figure out what is the best lineup that I can put up there? What's the best bench unit I can put out there? And it'll put this team in the best spot to succeed and to win. I genuinely hope we see Romeo in some of those lineups too. I feel like he was earning his place on the rotation before the COVID-19 layoff. And he was earning it with defense. He was pesky. He was always up in guys' grill. He was showing that he could be a scorer on the, on the slash off the cut. Not so much of a spot-up scorer yet. You can, I'm hoping to see that develop. But I feel like he earned at least a, a closer look during these eight games before Brad makes a decision on his rotations going into the playoffs. Yeah, I also think that Romeo has a lot to offer there. I think I think with just getting Jalen Brown healthy, having Kemba healthy, that also just makes it a little bit more difficult to determine what kind of starting lineup you're going to be looking at. But that being said, I, I think Romeo has a lot to offer too. You know, he's a high-energy guy. He's really picking up, as you said, on defense. He's getting – he's grasping the concept of just everything that's going on in the court. He's looking to make those right plays. And as he was like primarily known as like this offensive guy who, you know, his shot was limited because of his injury and everything. He played a whole season with a thumb, like torn ligament in his thumb. So now that you've got another guy who's been injured, been recovering, been working back, been rehabbing, it, it will be very interesting to see how they unleash all of these guys. And they've got so many different looks. And that's part of the reason why the Celtics can be such a lethal threat in the postseason. You've got a team that's full of young guys who have been to the postseason, who have been as far as Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. You've got other guys who contributed on other teams who are now part of your core, uh, especially with Ennis Cantor. That that run he had with Portland was crazy, okay? Like, he definitely should have got a little bit more money in the offseason. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm unhappy he landed with Boston, but, you know, he has found his role, and he's done really well in shoring up our rebounding. So it's just a matter of seeing how these pieces fit together. And I think it's always, when it comes to the Celtics team, it's really just always come down to how these pieces fit together and how these young guys, you know, fulfill their roles. I don't think Brad's ever going to put guys in a position where they can't succeed. So I, for one, am very, very excited to see the season come back. I wish it was a little bit sooner, but hey, I'm perfectly fine with the NBA coming in at the end of the summer and just making, making everyone's lives a little bit brighter. Especially as we move into the fall and everybody starts to miss the nice weather. It gives us a reason to be happy we're staying in. So we've got plenty of time where we're going to be looking at different scenarios and we've got time to speculate and discuss between now and when the league restarts. So I'm going to leave this one here. There's a lot of excitement around this that it's taken our minds away from other issues that everybody's been dealing with. I do hope everybody's staying safe and we'll be back Monday when we'll be looking at more Celtics returning to the NBA. And we'll catch you guys later.